0: The attempted murder by poison case grabbed the nation's attention in 1989. In fact, even the most seasoned investigators in Austin, Texas, had never seen another case like it. The victim, simply referred to as Treaty, had been one of Austin's oldest and most beloved residents. The last living survivor of a legendary council. The intended victims spent their days in the city's historic district where they stood witness to a lot of history over the years. From the rebuilding of the state capitol in 1888, or the Austin Dam failure, to the construction of several bridges and an airport, and the first days of the Dell Computer Corporation. And throughout it all, this elderly citizen served the community well. In the early years, negotiations and other pivotal meetings had been treaty's thing, hence the nickname. Although to be fair, councilmen and other leaders weren't the only ones to sit in the company of such an esteemed citizen. Rain or shine, heat or cold, Austin's oldest resident, was always there for the people of the city. Try as they may, no one could figure out why someone would want to poison such a truly outstanding member of society. Investigators couldn't ask either, because Treaty was dying and incapable of talking. As the news spread, get-well cards from children poured in. Small gifts began to pile up. A local spiritualist even tried her healing powers by transferring positive energy, during which time she claimed that treaty had once in another life been an Egyptian woman named Alexandria. Lacking scientific or spiritual abilities of their own, most citizens just wished treaty a speedy recovery. Others sent in chicken soup. Texas resident and industrialist Ross Perot wrote a blank check for all care and treatment, as well as funding for the investigation telling officials that no matter how much it cost, or how long it would take, to just send him the bill. With a generous funding, specialists were called in, and extensive round-the-clock work began. Nationwide news reports sparked outrage across the country. An innocent victim was barely clinging to life. The story even appeared in People magazine. As word spread, so too did offers to help. The manufacturer of the chemical used in the poisoning offered a $10,000 reward for the capture of the assailant. On June 29th, police arrested Paul Cullen, who had been bragging about the attempted murder. And while we might imagine he'd poisoned Treaty because of an outcome of one of the many negotiations in the past, Cullen said it had to do with a spell. He'd been in love, you see. And no, not with the elderly resident. It seems that he'd been infatuated with a drug counselor who hadn't returned his affection. Treaty was just... available. After the poisoning, Cullen returned to the scene of the crime. To him, watching his victim fade represented the death of his love for the counselor while heroic efforts were underway to save treaty's life jurors in the case debated on life imprisonment for cullen although they eventually agreed on just nine years he'd go on to serve three of those and paid a one thousand dollar fine and while it seems justice wasn't served treaty not only survived but also managed to outlive cullen who died a few years later of course healing took a lot of time as you might imagine a powerful poison had been used an herbicide, in fact, enough to kill 100 trees. Today, treaty is thriving. In fact, for the first time since the poisoning, acorns have been gathered. You see, treaty is an oak tree. More appropriately a species called a Texas live oak, and according to the National Forestry Association, the most perfect specimen of that type of tree in North America. Austin's oldest living resident is over 600 years old. Treaty and another 13 Texas live oaks were once called the Council Oaks and were the sacred meeting ground for Native Americans, long before settlers took over the region. There's no doubt that the attempted murder case is certainly bizarre. In fact, I can't help but agree with the people of Austin. Why would anyone want to kill the Treaty Oak? And why couldn't they just leave them alone? Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it,
1: Boy Meets World House.
0: Take a listen. We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. Ooh, yes. How lucky we were to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. At 26, Victoria found herself in a scandal. There would be others, plenty of them, in fact. The first involved her marriage, or more appropriately, her divorce. You see, in 1864, women who divorced their husbands were not only blamed for the marriage failing, but they were also socially shunned. It didn't matter that Victoria was the sole financial supporter, while her husband spent his days either drunk or womanizing. So, with two children in tow, Victoria divorced him, leaving a trail of gossip behind her. The talk didn't bother her, though. She'd grown up with worse. Her father had been an abusive con artist, but instead of going along with the social norms that women didn't disclose such things, Victoria talked. Women's rights became her passion, and she believed women shouldn't have to stay in abusive marriages, and that their role in society was far more than wife or mother. She married again a couple of years later, this time to a former Union Army colonel, James Harvey Blood, who was also a free thinker. The two settled down in New York, where he introduced Victoria to others, also taking part in reform movements. Soon, Victoria's sister, Tenny, also moved to New York. Women's rights weren't the only subjects near and dear to the two sisters' hearts, though. They also believed in equality and were staunchly anti-slavery. Victoria quickly became interested in politics and attended rallies where her own speeches of equality were considered radical. By 1870, Victoria and Tenney were also well-known for spiritualism, soon becoming mediums for the wealthy Cornelius Vanderbilt. The railroad tycoon was so taken with the two sisters that he set them up in their own business, a stock brokerage firm, making them the first women stockbrokers in America. And here's the thing, they were good at it. Vanderbilt made millions from Victoria and Tenney's recommendations. It made them wealthy too, prompting the New York Herald to call them the Queens of Wall Street. The idea that women were holding down such a position, much less outdoing their male counterparts, didn't go over very well. Soon, men's journals published articles depicting the two as immoral, unchaperoned women. They underestimated Victoria, though, and she decided to fight fire with fire. That's when the sisters sold the stock brokerage firm and founded their own newspaper. Aside from women's rights and suffrage, they printed controversial articles on spiritualism, human rights, birth control, and even vegetarianism. Mostly, though, the paper set the stage for Victoria's run for a higher office, the American presidency. And this was well before women were even allowed to vote. Outrageous for the times, sure. But Victoria was just getting started. Victoria chose a running partner that most of us would recognize today, Frederick Douglass. But in a world where the public feared the mixing of black and white citizens, a woman running for president had to be one thing— Choosing a black man for a vice president sent much of the public reeling. Friends and supporters of incumbent president Ulysses S. Grant quickly attacked her character. Victoria Woodhull was wicked, they said. One accuser, prominent minister Henry Ward Beecher, claimed that aside from being twice married and a promoter of free love, Victoria had also engaged in numerous affairs with married men. When Victoria learned that Beecher himself had been having an affair with a married woman in his congregation, she exposed the minister as a hypocrite, publishing the details of the affair in her own newspaper. The story quickly became a national scandal, and as a result, Victoria was arrested. Her crime? Publishing obscene content. She was eventually cleared of all charges on a technicality. By then, though, the election was over, and all the controversies surrounding her had inspired Harper's Weekly cartoonist Thomas Nast to publish a sketch of her. It showed a woman carrying multiple children and strapped with an angry, drunken husband on her back as she struggled to walk up a treacherous mountain. In the sketch, Victoria holds a sign up that reads, Save yourself with free love. And the caption beneath it read, I'd rather travel the hardest path of matrimony than follow in your footsteps. Nast had depicted Victoria as the devil incarnate, spurring another nickname, Mrs. Satan. Satan. Although today we might call her something else a trailblazer. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show.